Today, I'm going to open up and share my journey from struggling as a mother and losing my identity to finally finding my joy again. Welcome to The Joe Randolph Show, a show for mothers to discover simple and easy ways to increase your feeling of joy every day. I'm your host, Joe Randolph. I'm a qualified well-being coach for mothers, and I'm also a mom that's really passionate about how to create a healthier and happier home. On this show, I discuss ways we can have more joy in our relationships, in our family, in our health, and also our career. Now, let's dive into today's episode, losing your joy and identity after motherhood and getting it back again. If you were to take yourself back to the day before you had children, before you became a mother, how did you imagine your life would look like as a mother? Did you imagine having cute babies, dressing them in little tiny shoes, soaking up their baby giggles, bonding, breastfeeding, feeling really close and just embracing motherhood? Now, if you fast forward to the day or even weeks or months after you gave birth, what did your life feel like? How did your life feel when you became a mother? Was it different? For every mother I know, the reality of being a mother was much harder than what they expected. A lot harder than anyone had ever told them. Sure, people may have told you being a mom is the best and hardest job in the world, or being a mother will change your life forever. But until you've done it, you don't really understand what they mean when they say it's the hardest job in the world. You don't really understand what they mean when they say this will change your life. And this illustrates a gap. The gap symbolizes where you hoped you would be when you said yes to motherhood and where you actually feel you are as a mother. The wider the gap, the bigger the gap feels in our heart and the deeper we fall as we try so hard to get to the other side. When you fall, you can feel alone. When I fell, I felt alone. But it turns out I'm not alone. Watching Jessica Hoover's video on YouTube, I don't like being a mom, made me realize there is a community of mothers that either simultaneously love but regret having kids with a capital L and a capital R. And there are also mothers who don't regret having children, but they regret the ways motherhood has changed their lives financially, emotionally, romantically. And there are also those who don't regret having children, but they just don't like and struggle with some aspects of mothering. Wherever they are on the spectrum from big regret to simply disliking aspects of mothering, 
the essence is the same. They share a feeling of exhaustion and shame. Exhaustion from overstimulation, whether it's the constant mommy, 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 or the lack of sleep, or the full-blown tears in a supermarket when you just need to grab one more thing on your shopping list. This combined with the shame, a shame so strong that when people ask, how are you? You leave out parts you feel embarrassed about, whether it's your child's behavior or your inner most secretive thoughts. Almost as though good mothers don't have these child behavior challenges or good mothers don't have such a dislike for aspects of mothering. Yet what I wish I knew was that I entered motherhood believing a fairy tale of what I thought parenting was, and I was judging myself against a motherly character that doesn't exist in real life. This myth of a good mom is really just an internalized absorption of the types of good mothers that are wrapped up into one. Over the past two decades, scholars have inquired into what a good mother is, and they have found different social norms. The first type of mother is the present mom, who is attentive to the child, and this norm requires a mother to truly understand her child's needs and desires and do her best to meet them by being physically present and highly attentive. Here, mothers monitor their children, they recognize their cues and preferences, and take swift action to fulfill the child's needs. Because they feel their child's needs can only be met by themselves, mothers feel an overwhelming need to be present and are willing to sacrifice themselves. There is a support for this way of parenting, suggesting that a good mother should dedicate her body, her time, her undivided attention, her life to her child. Breastfeeding campaigns in the UK, for example, link secure emotional attachment to the physical attachment between the child and their mother. And although they claim to promote attachment parenting, often these campaigns address the mothers. The second type of mom is the future-orientated mother who does everything she can to secure the child's successful development. A tiger mom that ensures the child's physical and cognitive capabilities are nurtured. A mother is expected to optimize her child's physical development by looking to nurture them with the best foods for their health. An example of this is breastfeeding. There have been a couple of studies that have shown that breast milk is considered the healthiest and most natural option. And therefore, formula has been rejected as being artificial. Mothers are expected to be nurturers and healers and protectors. And so if they don't do this, they carry such 
guilt. But mothers are also expected to provide an ideal environment for their child's successful cognitive development, whether it's disciplining, stimulating, or educating their children, picking the best schools way in advance, or simply stimulating a child's brain when they are an infant. The third type of mom is the working mother that tries to integrate her career with her family life. Some mothers consider working as an important aspect of their life, but also an important aspect of good mothering. You are a good mother if you can provide to your children. Now this norm assumes that mothers should work and be able to contribute to the financial prosperity of their children, whether independently in the event of an unfortunate breakup or simply by splitting their part of the portion in a 50-50 relationship. Yet mothers are somehow expected to merge these two aspects of themselves with minimal disruption. Her work commitments should not interfere with her family responsibilities or reduce the time and energy she has available when her children need her. Yet simultaneously, her family commitments should not negatively impact her job. The fourth type of mother is the public mother. This is the norm of being in control. This is the expectation that a mother has a high degree of control over her own body, her self, her children, and also how she mothers. Research has shown how mothers are required to control their mothering based on what they know and expect is accepted behavior in society. This is reflected in mothers' attempts to be viewed positively by outsiders. For example, research has shown that during pregnancy, mothers often strive to keep their weight down and control their body size and their cravings and emotions. Mothers often follow information they gather from experts or other mothers or base their practices on what they believe a mother is expected to do in society, irrespective of how they actually feel about it. In public spaces, this norm is reflected in a mother's attempts to control her child's behavior. And if a child is maybe crying in a supermarket or crying somewhere public, they feel ashamed as though it reflects that they don't have control of their children and therefore aren't a good mother. Now, these are just the expectations we have on ourselves. And somehow we've merged these different types of mothers, which are really norms or expectations. We've essentially meshed them into one as though we need to do all things. On top of this, we also have a job description that comes with being a mother. So imagine a job description that would read out something like this. Position is mother who may otherwise be called mom, mommy, mother, mama, 
poo-poo head, depending on your child's mood. There's the job description, which involves being a nurturing, patient, calm, yet also energetic person needed for this challenging and crazy manic environment. And they must also be willing to work very flexible hours. This includes evenings, weekends, plus all night shifts. Now, the responsibilities include breast or bottle feeding every couple of hours, cooking multiple meals at once, sometimes one-handed, read the same stories over and over and over and over again with enthusiasm, of course, clean up multiple messes a day, which might include some poop or pee on the floor, research activities in the area, maintain calendars, plan and organize the best activities so they have so much fun, also be a reliable chauffeur, also be a personal assistant for the child, contacting and remaining in contact with other parents to organize play dates, personal care for the children, helping with wiping butts and bogies and changing sheets from vomit, also being a home educator and stimulating your baby's brain before they say their first words, and also helping your child develop emotional coping skills, being their therapist, listening to their problems and challenges and comforting them, doing the child's laundry, and also being a magician and removing the stains, and also being fit enough to run around after your children, being a referee to siblings, and also supporting your child through every key stage and milestone in their life. Let's not forget assembling furniture and toys and decorating their nursery and play space. Then there's the skills. You need to be committed because this is a role for the rest of your life. No quitters allowed. And you also need to have excellent communication skills, communication skills that can adapt to any and every tricky situation at home or in public essential negotiation skills, otherwise you're screwed, and also organizational skills and tidying up right after they've made a mess, even though you know that mess is coming right back again. Having amazing organizational and time management skills, being able to get out the door on time and not forgetting anything that needs to go in the nappy changing bag or your kid's school bag. Also being resilient, you must be willing to be disliked from time to time. Now in terms of promotion opportunities, there is no promotion, there is only a demotion. You either end up keeping your role as mother and the child values you as their mother for the rest of their and your life, or you get demoted and maybe the relationship with your child isn't great and sometimes your child doesn't feel as though you have been the mother they've needed. So it's important to do this job without complaining and to do it with love and really with the intention and hope that at the end of this, you still have a relationship. 
in terms of compensation, there is no compensation. You will work for free for your entire life. In fact, you'll actually pay the child and the amount you pay increases as they become more independent and they become more of an adult. For example, you may need to pay a big lump sum to help them start their new life in university. Or they may be a little bit older and they're getting married and they need your help paying for some of the wedding. Or maybe they're buying a house and they need your help making a down payment. Or you may just need to help them with a car. Either way, the size of the payments you put in actually can increase over time. And also when you die, you end up giving them basically everything you have unless you decide otherwise. Though there is no financial payment, there are benefits. If you enjoy this position, you could end up having a great relationship with your child, amazing memories, a close bond, and just a relationship that both you and your children treasure forever. You can get hugs and kisses, and it's just one of the best feelings in the world, but you're basically only doing it for that benefit. When I personally look at that description, I'm like, wow, there is so much I didn't know about mothering before I became a mom. I had this kind of movie picture of you know, me being pregnant and looking at my bump and dressing up and really just enjoying the pregnancy. And I expected the birth to be difficult because movies have always shown a difficult birth, but I expected afterwards, you know, I'd hold the baby, breastfeed and just be in complete and utter bliss. I thought that my relationship with my husband would get better after having kids. I couldn't comprehend the idea that having kids would mean that you might face new and more difficult challenges to navigate through. I also thought that it would be so much fun to watch the child grow up. I didn't know it would take six weeks just to get that first smile. Here are kind of the three key takeaways from learning and looking at things from this perspective. The first thing is I realized that it's impossible to be a mother that does everything, that fulfills that job description, and that also fits those norms that we talked about earlier. Because what we described isn't one mother. It also isn't one job. Some of these jobs are positions in their own right. And in reality, no one would expect to hire someone to be excellent in, in all of these dimensions. In the same way that I know that amongst women, there are different kinds of women. There's the fashionista woman, there's the nerdy woman, there's the sporty women. And even though some women can have different aspects, kind of combined into their identity. The reality is, is that no woman does it all. And so why would I expect a mother to do it all? That just doesn't exist. So what this made me realize is that if you or I don't like aspects of the role or we find mothering quite challenging, it doesn't actually make you a bad mom. You haven't fallen short. You haven't not cracked the code. You have built your life utilizing certain skills. It's 
expected that if you are not using the skills that you would like to use, that you don't feel fulfilled. That's not wrong. That's natural. And in every profession, we understand this. Like if there's a painter and he suddenly gets a job working as an administrator in an accounting firm, that person would be bored out of their mind. No one would be surprised that this transition isn't an easy one and that they are in, unfulfilled in this role. None of this says anything about that painter's character or their inherent worth or their capabilities. It's just a bad role fit. A painter could still work for an accounting firm. They could just do a different role. Maybe they could be the creative and create visual brand identity or visual assets. Even if it is a creative role, might not be a dream job. But the idea is that that person, they don't need the perfect role for them to be happy. They just need a role that's good enough for now. Now, I don't want to get lost in this whole analogy of painting, but the key thing here is to focus on the good enough role. In other words, the good enough mother. Which brings me on to the third realization is that my role isn't to be a good mother. My goal is to be a good enough mother. By shifting my role to a goal, I no longer attach my identity to my mothering. For our entire careers, we have perhaps gotten used to attaching our identity to our role. When someone asks you who you are and what you do, we often say a sentence, my name is Joy, or my name is, and then you can say your name, and then you say, I am A, and then you describe what you do. I am a consultant. I am a banker. I am an artist. I am a fashion designer. I am a lawyer. And that ends up forming part of our identity. And like how good of a banker you are, you know, often your ego gets bigger, the better you are at your job, the higher you climb up the ladder, the, um, the bigger firm or company you build or work at, often the more confident we feel. And so if we're struggling in that position, then it can really, really knock our confidence and we can lose our identity. Like if I'm not good at this, then what am I good at? And so by shifting away from thinking that my role was to be a good mother because I am a mother, but instead shifting it to my goal is to be a good mother, my identity was no longer wrapped up in this. Like our identities often aren't wrapped up in our goals. Goals are things we aim towards. They are things that we aspire to. They are not who we are, and we never start off thinking they are who we are. Now, why the goal of being a good enough mother? The phrase good enough mother was first coined in 1953 by Donald Winnicott, a British pediatrician and psychoanalyst. And Winnicott observed thousands of babies and their mothers. And he came to realize that babies and children actually benefit when their mothers make mistakes and fail them in manageable ways. Children actually benefit from an imperfect parent. 
He argues that children actually need to learn in small ways that no one around them is perfect and will perfectly meet their needs, that they don't need to be perfect in order to be valued and appreciated by others. You need to learn through experience that it can pay to be patient, that life can still be rewarding if the journey has been challenging, that a feeling of disappointment is a natural feeling that we all share at some point, and that's okay. The most important thing when things go wrong is that we repair our relationships and we also do the best we can to meet their key and most important needs. When I learned about this, I realized, okay, I don't actually need to be the perfect mom. That's actually a disservice to be a mom that is the mythical mom that's always present, that has a career, that is the future mom and organizes and plans the child's successful future, that is the in-control mom. In fact, it's impossible to be all four things at the same time. And so not only is it impossible, but even if that impossibility for those type A moms that love to love a challenge and love to be the best of the best, even if it was a possibility, which again, it isn't. The reality is, is that it would do a disservice to your child because you would essentially be this super duper mom and your child would think that everyone in life is like that. And they're not. I'm sure you've gone your entire life and you've had disappointments, you've had heartbreaks, you've had friendships in ways that you never expected. You've had relationships with colleagues turn sour. You've had life experiences that were challenging. You've had desires or needs that you haven't been able to meet. It's actually important that you prepare your child to essentially understand that they are loved and that they are lovable, but that they are also strong and capable of living a life that has some disappointments along the way and that they instead develop the resilience to get through it. And the amazing thing is, is that you can't teach them how to do this perfectly. The only way you can do this is by making mistakes, genuine mistakes. Now, understanding this shifted things for me because I was free to decide for myself, for my family, the kind of mother I wanted to be and what my children needed. And in my case, I knew that my kids needed a mom that wasn't overwhelmed. I remember when my eldest was three years old and I had just given birth to my baby and I actually found those first six months really, really challenging because they both had different nap schedules and my baby was breastfeeding and my toddler was constantly hungry and I was struggling to find time just for me to sit and eat and it was little things like like that that just made me feel really overwhelmed and I'll never forget one of the issues being sleep. I had really tried to be the present mother that was always attending to my child's needs. And so I found sleep training a little bit tricky. For the first four years of being a mom, I had never put my babies, either children, in their bed for nap time. What I would end up doing is I would end up basically putting the children in the pram or 
breastfeeding them to sleep. And that just became my life. And it ended up getting to the point though, that I was exhausted when it was chucking it down with rain, when it was snowing and irrespective of the fact that I was cold, I was wet, I was freezing on ice, I would still force myself to go out. And so I kind of just hung in there hoping that one day this would be over. It's fair to say that <laughs> both my kids, including my four-year-old, are still napping. So I'm not quite sure when I imagined it, it would be over. But anyways, I just kept pushing through. The challenge is, is that when you have a lot of things that are quite challenging and that are far from ideal and that are a little bit difficult, such as being out in the wet and cold and, you know, winter, um, all of those things start to add up. Every time you skip a meal, every time you are hungry and yet you are feeding your kids and you forgot to cook a meal for yourself, every time you are doing something for your kids, irrespective of what you need, after a, t a certain amount of time, it starts to build up. And what I actually ended up finding was that I was getting overwhelmed. And the more overwhelmed I felt, the less I felt like the mother I had wanted to be, the less patient I was. Once I learned these principles that I've kind of shared with you today, it really shifted things. I suddenly realized that actually, if I can get my youngest to have a nap in the bed, that would be life-changing. That would mean that I don't have to be outside in the cold every time. That would also mean that I could get some work done and I could work on my business. I could study my psychology master's degree. I could uh, do the grocery shopping list, whatever it is. And my nipples also wouldn't hurt if she was teething and been sucking on it for two hours. And so I was willing to give it a go and I ended up doing the sleep training approach. And there was one night where she basically fell asleep within a couple minutes and she ended up sleeping for an hour and a half. And I was dumbfounded. I was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is life-changing. And I suddenly got that hope that hang on a second, if I hadn't made the decision to try and do things differently, if I hadn't been willing to open up and try this, I would have stayed stuck in this cycle that I've been in for, for over four years, I thought to myself, I could either give up and say, oh, look, my, my babies just don't sleep well in the bed, or I could actually try and change things. I thought about what the good mother does when sleep training, the good mother follows the sleep training schedule to a T because that's what a sleep trainer says. And I realized actually I don't have to be the good mother that does everything perfectly and by the book. I can just focus on my goal, which would help my baby sleep through a nap. And I can instead focus on ways I can tweak it to make it work for my family. It might not be the perfect plan, but if it works better than anything that I've that's ever we've ever done before, then that's good enough for me. And so I actually just ended up putting my baby to sleep during a nap. And instead of me walking out after, you know, putting her down drowsy, but awake, I would instead just lay next to her, not on the bed. We have like a floor Montessori bed, which is amazing, by the way, if you haven't heard of these Montessori floor beds and you're baby is not yet transitioned from a crib to a child bed or whatever, I totally recommend it. I lay on the floor next to her and 
she can smell me and I put my hand on her chest and I was just rubbing her gently and I wasn't talking to her and I wasn't patting her. I was just letting her know that I am here and you are not alone and we are together. And amazingly, she fell asleep within an instant and there she was sleeping an hour and a half again. And there were no tears. There was no breastfeeding to sleep. She just slept easily and effortlessly. And just that one tweak and deciding not to do things the perfect way, but to do what I thought would be good enough was life-changing. And so now that she's napping really well and I'm able to get some me time, it's like I'm starting to get my joy back. I'm starting to do this podcast. I'm starting to do um, YouTube videos. I'm starting to build my business again. I'm starting to get myself back. Now, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know how much joy you you felt you had before having a child and how much joy you feel you have now after having a child. For some moms, they are beaming with joy because mothering is one of the best things that have happened to them. And even though there are aspects of it that are challenging, in all, they absolutely, absolutely love mothering. But I also know for others, they love and adore their kids, but that mothering transition, you know, the ways that being a mother changes you physically, emotionally, financially, in your romantic relationships, it can be a lot. And I hope that by listening to today's episode, you see that you don't need to do things perfectly, no matter where you are on the spectrum, and that there's no such thing as the good mother. And rather, you get to decide what kind of mother you want to be. You get to decide what you feel is the best you have to offer your child. And you also get to decide what is good enough for you and for your child. Just following that, I am sure and I am confident that you will start to open up opportunities and you'll start to see ways you can modify your approach and start to get some of your time back, start to get some of your identity back, start to see ways you can get your joy back and start to see ways you can get yourself back. Anyways, that's it from today's episode. I hope you found it interesting or helpful in some way. If you did and you're watching this from my YouTube channel, please give it a thumbs up. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please do leave a review. It would mean the world to me to get a review because when you review the show, uh, it increases the chances that a mother can also find this episode and find the show and hopefully discover simple and easy ways they can increase their feeling of joy every day. But anyways, thanks so much for watching this. If you're watching this from YouTube, and I'm sending you lots of love. All right, take care. Bye.